0: The following program is an original WWE podcast.
1: Coming up, we're putting the band back together. Well, sort of. Michael Cole and Renee Young are my guests on ATB. Plus, I've got bold predictions for the brand new year, including who I think is going to walk out of WrestleMania, Universal Champion. After an overwhelming response on Twitter, we finally bust into the ATB mailbag as I answer all of your burning questions. Well, most of them. No time to waste. It's 2020. ATB starts now. Welcome to the After the Bell New Year's extravaganza. Happy New Year. You made it to 2020. Congratulations. My New Year's resolution is to stop making New Year's resolutions because I, like most, rarely stick with them. And it's just nothing more than something cool to post on the internet. I hate doing this, but my producers begged me to, so here you go. I will only do this once a year. Maybe in 2021, hopefully I'll still have After the Bell. Otherwise, maybe this is the only time I'll ever do this. But here are my bold predictions for the year 2020, in the new decade. I'm going to go on record as saying right now, if there is any justice in the world, the biggest year for any superstar in WWE should be Drew McIntyre. Drew McIntyre is a megastar, always on the verge of really breaking out. I think Drew is the guy, or one of the guys, that can carry WWE proudly into the future. So I hope I'm right on that one. For my sake and for everyone's sake, because Drew McIntyre is freaking awesome. I think the biggest breakout star of 2020 has already made a pretty impressive name for himself in NXT, but I think may actually exceed beyond the walls of NXT. Velveteen Dream in 2020. He's been out with an injury, one of the most charismatic superstars in the business. Young, talented, big things on tap in the new year for Velveteen Dream. And I promised it at the top of the show, so why wait any longer? My prediction for the main event of Wrestlemania this year. With the Universal Championship on the line, The Fiend, the reigning champion, will defend against Big E from the New Day. I said it here on After the Bell. It is about damn time for Big E to get his just due and have his opportunity at a big-time singles run. I think Big E versus The Fiend under the bright lights of WrestleMania in Tampa, Florida could be truly memorable. That said, I have no idea what's going to happen 20 minutes from now, let alone by the time we get to WrestleMania, but my producers are happy, and I won't be getting yelled at in my ears anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a new year. Going to try something new here on After the Bell. I ask you at the end of the show every week to join the conversation using the hashtag After the Bell on social media. Tried things a little different using the hashtag AskATB, and uh, my producers have compiled a list of questions that you, the WWE Universe, have asked for me, Mr. Graves. So uh, without any further ado, let's answer some questions. Let's A some cues, if you will. First one's from CorderoHVC. It says, Question. Are you allowed to ask hard-hitting questions to guests, or the, does WWE's management filter or censor certain questions? Uh, I said from the outset, if it needs to be said, if I feel it needs to be said or asked, I do have a great deal of free reign and leeway. That said, I am also a logical-thinking human being, and if I think it is nothing more than something that Twitter's upset about for a couple hours on a Friday night... I don't necessarily know that the broad audience is really going to give too much of a damn about the questions. So I guess at the end of the day, I am the end-all be-all. Maybe that's not the best decision, but I was promised freedom, and damn it, I was provided it. So I hope that answers your question. Xavier Smith YT says, loving the podcast so far. Congratulations, Xavier. You're the one. How did you get into the business? Uh, I've told this story ad nauseum on basically every interview I've ever done. Uh, so here's the Cliff's Notes version. I was 14 years old. I was having a crisis like every kid has in high school. What on earth was I going to do with my life? And I decided that the remedy to all my ills was going to be to pierce my tongue. And my dad said, that's the dumbest idea I've ever heard. Why don't you do something productive with your life? Like be a pro wrestler. (laughs) And he actually knew an independent promoter in Pittsburgh that was willing to bend the rules a little bit and let this stupid punk 14-year-old kid train in the ring. I paid my dues there, cleaning floors, building rings, refereeing, and I jumped onto the independent scene, and the rest is a long, long, very, very interesting history. Um, so if you want something bad enough, just don't give up. It sounds cliche, but it's true. This one is from at Carmella WWE. How clever. She's supporting me. She's asking me questions she already knows the answers to. On a scale of 1 to 10, how amazing is your girlfriend? There aren't enough numbers in my lexicon to fully explain how amazing she is because she has stood beside me through the worst year of my entire life, and she makes me very happy. And I will stop gushing because it's going to turn into a really weird, potentially dirty love letter on my podcast. So we'll just leave some things to the imagination. So yes, dear, you're amazing. Uh, do I believe John Moxley slash Dean Ambrose will return to WWE? I hope so. I respect the hell out of what John's doing. He's happy. I still keep in touch with him, even though that's against all the rules. And I think uh, this is all part of his journey. But ultimately, I think the lunatic fringe needs to come back home at some point in the future. That question was from at, the future of all. At Paul Stoltz 4 asks, have you ever thought about joining the creative team? Seems like you have some great ideas. Uh, I actually have considered it. I toyed with it briefly for about a month, a few years back on the 205 Live brand. Uh, I was privy to a few conference calls and meetings. Uh, and to be perfectly honest, that's just a lot of work. And we have a very talented team of Guys and girls who work exceptionally hard, uh, tireless hours, and that is just something I honestly don't have time for. Someday, maybe, if I can uh, you know, carve time out of my schedule, and I think ultimately at the end of the day, I'm a big crybaby, and if I can't get my way and get what I want, then I don't think I'm going to be happy. So uh, maybe, someday. But thank you for appreciating my ideas. It means, Paul Stoltz 4, you are clearly a very highly intelligent human being at Brogdon Matt. Hope I said that right. Corey, I got two questions. My first question is, what is it like meeting Vince McMahon for the first time? And my next question is, do you think WWE will ever bring back ECW? Uh, Meeting Mr. McMahon for the first time ever is like walking into your living room and seeing Santa Claus. It is as daunting and impressive and amazing and terrifying as you think it possibly could be. Uh, And for your second part of your question, absolutely not. I loved ECW as much as the next guy. Uh, They tried to bring it back once, and it wasn't exactly well received. I think it's best to just leave the memory of ECW alone and uh, let it rest in peace, because the memories will live on. At a good talking to asks Corey, what is your favorite match of all time? I actually think I know the answer to that, and I want to say it's from WrestleMania 7, the Ultimate Warrior versus Macho Man Randy Savage. And the match itself was awesome, but what still gets me, even at the age of 35 years old, is the aftermath, when Miss Elizabeth shows up in the crowd with tears in her eyes and comes to the ring to the rescue of Macho Man. It still put a lump in my throat as a grown man. Uh, That, to me, is my favorite. I'm sure this is a conversation that could be argued to the death, and it often is. But off the top of my head, that's got to be the one. And D. Lutzka asks, what is the hardest thing about commentary? Uh, Well, where to begin, where to begin? Personally speaking, it is being able to speak while having other people speaking to you in your head uh in your headset so it's very very difficult it was very difficult for me to learn it's even harder to get comfortable with it Uh, but when you hear the voice of god coming through your headset and you need to remember or repeat what was being said to you while simultaneously trying to call a match while trying to remember what segment is coming up next or how to throw to a video package or trying to listen to your commentary partner while someone is talking to you in your in your headset That to me is the single hardest part about my job. Uh, I think I've gotten pretty proficient at it, but it still rocks you when you're in the middle of a sentence and somebody starts counting in your head or uh, telling you something that you need to know or cracking jokes, as some of our producers often do. Uh, There's a lot of information happening in my head at all times at the commentary desk. The new year is here. And while you might be taking the time to better yourself, how about taking your business to the next level? ZipRecruiter.com slash after the bell makes finding qualified candidates easy. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards. With powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find the people with the right experience. Then they actually invite them to apply to your job. So you can sit back while qualified candidates roll in. Trust me, I use this all the time. I fire people like once a week on After the Bell. And as applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. So get your new year started right with the right people for the job. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at our exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash after the bell. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash a f t e -e -e You're welcome for the spelling lesson. ZipRecruiter.com slash after the bell. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. My guest at this time is a dear, dear friend of mine in another lifetime. She joined me at the commentary table. Now you can find her at 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Tuesday nights, exclusively on FS1 and WWE Backstage, Renee Young. Hi, Renee. Hey,
2: man. Hi. Listen, I've got an issue already. We're two seconds in. Did you say that like I was a dear friend of yours in another life?
1: No, no. In another life, you were joining me at the commentary table.
2: Oh, yes. Okay, good, good, good. I just wanted to check. I need a well, I mean,
1: Unless you don't want to be dear friends anymore. That's understandable. No, oh
2: my God. No, I'd love to continue being dear friends.
1: Where are you at right now? It sounds like you're in some sort of outer space contraption.
2: Does it sound weird? I'm sitting on the floor in my bathroom right now, just really... Going over my feelings and emotions as we head into the new year.
1: What are the odds that you are on your bathroom floor as a result of how hard you celebrated on New Year's <laughs> Eve?
2: <laughs> um, it, they go hand in hand. They definitely uh, meet in the middle there. Uh, sometimes you have to have a little champagne. You start with the champagne, then you get into the wine, then you get into the mixed cocktails, and then you end up on your bathroom floor. Amateur move, I know.
1: Listen, I mean we're a couple of professionals here. We've both been there simultaneously. Oh, I know.
2: You know what I was thinking about the other day? Uh, I don't know why this popped in my head. Remember when we drove uh, to to Manchester on that that trip? That was like me, you, Kurt Angle, and we like I I died on that trip. <laughs>
1: yeah, I do recall that? That was that was a trip that started. We went to Saudi, and then we yes. had a layover in I believe Spain, and then we ended up in Wales. And then we did not drive. Just for clarification purposes, we had a bus yeah, we were that not. took us. We
2: had a bus. It was like, but well, we turned it into a party bus.
1: It was a it was a hell of a time. It was a long day. Very
2: effective. It, <laughs> and I got to my room and you demanded that I bring you like a speaker or something that I had, and I was on my deathbed. That was some bull.
1: Well, that's what you get for taking my speaker.
2: I guess. Yeah, it was your speaker. All right. Anyways. All right, let's
1: talk to the <laughs> t- talk about the important things at hand. We know we've covered it to death that you were the first full-time female commentator on Monday Night Raw. But yes, as I, I know very well, you are back in your wheelhouse, so to speak, on your new FS one show, WWE Backstage. What yeah. was the uh what's it like being back where you feel more comfortable and where you belong?
2: You know what? It, this is so simple, is that like it's I'm I think I do best when I'm allowed to laugh at stuff and make things fun. And I felt like I was not really able to do that as much on commentary. So to be back in like a studio setting and like just talk about wrestling as a fan I think that's something that just wasn't able to really come across with doing uh commentary so now that I can be more in like that fan spot in that host spot and just you know shoot the booker we've got page on there we've got punk on there um but just just to be back hosting I I like to be able to talk not in sound bites that's really the thing here I'm not good at sound bites
1: and that's Clearly. the hardest part. Well, I, I, I've learned that the hard way. When I first started doing commentary, you were just kind of thrown into the fire and it's right. really, really different. I mean, even on a podcast here or on your FS1 show to be able to explain a thought and give it context rather than you have, a, you know, 0.3 seconds sure. to formulate a thought and react.
2: Exactly. You know, I'm not like that, like poignant. I'm going to come in and have this like biting line for somebody. That's not really the thing that's made me successful at what I do. I think being able to, you know, come across as somebody you want to kind of have a beer with and, you know, maybe sit on my bathroom floor with me from time to time. But, um, you know, I, I think that that's sort of the thing that got lost for me and and not in as stupid as it is. It's like we we weren't really on camera that much. I come from being like on camera far more than just doing audio stuff, you know? Um, And even just, you know, sitting, ca- calling a match and trying to find the right spots to get in. And also just trying to be myself, whatever that even meant in that capacity where I feel like now doing backstage, I truly am just being myself uh, with no filter, no, uh, no, no being produced and whatnot. And that's, that makes me very happy.
1: Isn't that the weirdest thing that I think we're not the only ones that are told just be yourself. And the, the superstars are told that all the time, just be yourself, be an extension of yourself. It's really freaking hard to do. <laughs>
2: It's hard to do because like, I've done it for so long that like I've, I've been doing this thing for, you know, 10 years of being like a TV host, working in TV, blah, blah, blah. That at a certain point, I kind of forgot like what I was doing. I was like, how do I just be myself? What does that mean? And I think that that's where some confusion came for me was like, me knowing who I want to be versus trying to be the person that everybody else thinks that I am, that don't actually know who I am and they want me to fit a mold into them. That's who they wanted me to just be. Um, and it obviously didn't work.
1: Well, it gets frustrating. I mean, I know you and I had a million conversations about, you know, finding plan B and C and D and maybe even looking for an exit plan at some point.
2: Yeah. But it's just
1: kind of like, like anything, you stick with it long enough and hopefully the universe kind of, puts itself in order for you. And it seems like you found where you want to be right now.
2: 100%. And, you know, having the deal with Fox and I I think as soon as the, uh, as soon as that deal with Fox even came up, I think it was sort of a shoe and that I was going to be going into, to to host this backstage show. And, you know, even looking at the stuff that I got to do with talking smack and you got to jump in there with me on that a few times. It's like, that's what I love doing. And I'm always down to try something else. And that's why like when the commentary thing came up, I was like, hell yeah, I'll try it like, let's give it a whirl. I think that I, you know, can try to find a way to make something work no matter what. Um, But it's definitely nice to sort of not have to second guess myself anymore. I feel like I was second guessing myself all the time on commentary where now I'm just like, cool, I know what I'm doing. Confidence is back up at 100. Uh, It's yeah, it's a world of difference.
1: You also don't have me breathing down your neck waiting to jump on every word you say. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, thank God.
2: Go away. Leave me alone. You're such a, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) I couldn't catch a break from you. You're the worst. But like, you know, even like that situation, it's like we were going in there. Remember when Cole pulled me aside and pulled you aside and was like, oh, you're going to be doing commentary. And I was like, hell yeah, I get to work with like one of my best friends. Uh, We, you know, I think you and I have been looking for a way to kind of do something together anyways. And then for that to come up, but it still was like, damn, like this is not what I, this is not how I wanted that to go. But uh, yeah, man, you're all over me. Give me some room to breathe.
1: You have your own show to breathe now. Now you're on my show, and I'm giving you breathing room.
2: <laughs> Thank God. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was we had some good times. We had some good laughs.
1: Nothing will make me laugh as hard as what we brought up the other night at the uh, on Facetime
2: <laughs> when.
1: You know exactly where I'm going when you zip, sh- zip, 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 zip. <laughs> when you short circuited. <laughs> I was
2: trying to um, I was trying to explain that to John last night because he was with me when you Facetimed. He's like, "What are you guys talking about?" And I was trying. I think I was trying to say something about Delina Vega, and I was like, "Zit and I just looked at you with pure panic in my eyes. I'm like, "Please save me! Help me!" It's a
1: nightmare. And I and I got I got the read like the uh, oh please help, but I went I have no idea what she's trying to say.
2: Terrible. That one was a good one, in the time that you did like the small package thing with uh, the Drake Maverick deal—that I lost it during uh, that. I, I made on-cam. you that ugly. Yeah,
1: I made you ugly laugh on camera, which yeah. is always a yeah. success in my mind. And it was
2: like, and it was like the longest on camera. I'm like, wait, are we still doing this on camera right now? Cut away from me. Well, Dying. I
1: have a hard—I t- have a hard time now without having you or or somebody like a third person at the table because Cole's so hard to break. Cole yeah. can keep a straight face through anything, and I always used to gauge if something kind of landed because I could look at you, or I could even look over at Byron or Tom, and, and they'd you know have the giggles or whatever, and, and I, don't I would know. know. I don't
2: think that's true. I think I, Cole would crack for you all the time, but like times when Cole would have to hit the cough button and like regain his. Like you said, something about a pirate having scurvy during a Harry <laughs> Sane match or something. You've popped Cole a few times.
1: I get him from time to time. It's just a lot harder. It's it's yeah. I, I, It's harder to gauge as to whether or not it's working.
2: Yeah, Cole needs to stay all business. He's got too much stuff going on to like deal with your bull. I had time to deal with your bullshit. <laughs> 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 uh, is it is it weird um, being in a two man booth now? It seems like you guys clicked. It seems like you guys should have always just been in a two man booth.
1: It's pretty cool. Uh, he and I have worked together long enough that we have that that chemistry, and I sort of learned commentary from his style. So it's a it's a lot easier to flow back and forth. And it is yeah. weird. I mean, y- you experience that when you have three voices. Sometimes you're struggling just to, to get a word in edgewise or to complete yeah. a thought, and you've got two other people to worry about rather than just one. And uh, that's it, the truth. It, it's definitely a, a, a different vibe than the three man table. Yeah. And I, I, I think I, I prefer it for sure. Um, yeah. Mostly because I don't have to work with you.
2: Yeah, I know. <laughs> you have to compete with my outfits. You had somebody that was testing your outfit skill.
1: That's true. That's true. So what else is uh, going on in the life of Renee Young when you're not busy special contributing to uh, SmackDown?
2: <laughs> uh, you know, that's been sort of an interesting thing is like starting out doing backstage and – for a while, I was going back and forth between doing backstage, flying out for SmackDown, but not really having a role on SmackDown has actually just like opened up my uh, my schedule quite a bit. So you know, I've been working on uh, this cookbook that I want to get done. Yeah, regular house, sh- working out, hanging out with John, hanging out with my dogs. It's been nice to just sort of take a break a little bit. It feels like I can breathe for a second. It's like I've been with WWE for seven years. I've been on the road for like six and a half of those. So to be able to just take a bit of a step away from that, but it's also weird because it's been my life for that long that like, I feel like I don't see any of my friends anymore. I feel like disconnected from the thing that I've known for so long. Uh, and then having my husband now working for, uh, another promotion, it's yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's like, it's a weird time.
1: You mean to tell me you didn't instantly divorce because he decided to work at a different place? (laughs)
2: We thought about it and we decided that we could overcome this obstacle.
1: Oh, crazy. Because judging by the internet, everyone that works at a different place hates each other with all of their hearts and can't it's stand so to be annoying. around.
2: It's so stupid that like, I feel like I can't even tweet about something or that I can't talk about a match that he had or whatever. Cause it's like all this backfire of like AEW confirmed for New young going to AEW. It's like, guys, <laughs> give me a break. Like, It's just nonstop, but having so much wrestling on TV, it's like, I don't know. Yeah. People need to take a chill pill
1: to the social media point. Do you, do you get anything in the way of backlash? Uh, Because obviously it seems like everyone's sort of chosen sides uh, on, on Twitter, at least It's it's either us or them. And if you're working for the evil empire, Renee,
2: I know my checks are clearing every week. It's great.
1: Do you still get any sort of uh, vitriol from the, the internet because of that? Or, or are they even nicer to you because you have uh, sort of an in on the other side?
2: I uh, Yeah, I feel like they're almost nicer to me because of that. It's like I think so many of John's fans are so happy to see him happy um, that there's, there doesn't really seem to be much backlash other than if somebody wants to throw ratings at you one week or they, you know... Uh, I don't know. I, I kind of stay away from it, to be honest. It's like you get so caught up in dumb on social media. And it's like some days you feel like you want to poke the bear and you want to have some fun with it or you want to get in like a last line or whatever. But I feel like I've kind of taken a step back from it in like in the sense that, too, it's like I, I truly don't want to tweet something. and feel like I'm rocking the boat and all of a sudden somebody from WWE is going to call me up and they're going to be annoyed at something that I said. So I kind of just take myself out of the equation for the most part.
1: You should take notes from me. Dig your heels in and lean into it.
2: Yeah, dude, you've been <laughs> firing people up on social media. What is going on with you?
1: I, so it's never been a cool your thing. problem? I don't have a problem. I'm in a great mood. I, um, mm-hmm. I I've never. It's never been cool to like me, but I find myself in a position at this very moment where it's cool to not like me. So I feel I like I've it. sort of made it on a different level.
2: That's fair. you got to wear that hat. you got to take it and run with it. You're there to champion everybody's tweets.
1: That's what I'm here for. All right. So you've been there for uh, a lot of the good times and most of my bad times here in WWE, Renee. One of those bad times was in the form of one of the worst segments in the history of Monday Night Raw. That being the electric (laughs) chair.
2: Oh, God rest its soul.
1: No, 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 no. We're digging up the dead in a new form. It is now... The Electric Seat. So it's a completely different segment, but I do it on my show, and I think it sucks maybe slightly less. with it. I'm going to rapid-fire some questions at you. We were going to have okay. one minute. Answer them as quickly and honestly as you possibly can. If you succeed, you win nothing.
2: Boo! I want prizes!
1: Well, uh, I'll buy you a beer next time. All right, Renee Young, one minute on the clock. You are in the Electric Seat.
2: Here and
1: we go. And go. Cats or dogs? Dogs. Vegas or Toronto? Toronto. Childhood celebrity crush?
2: Paul Molitor of the Toronto Blue Jays in the '92-'93 season.
1: <laughs> First R-rated <laughs> movie you ever saw?
2: Oh gosh. Um. Oh, you know, I don't think it was R-rated, but I remember seeing that uh, the um, What Love Got to Do with It, the Tina Turner movie, and some bad happens in that.
1: The last thing you bought on Amazon.
2: A bunch of uh, Christmas presents um, in a sweet sweat stick.
1: That sounds dirty. Favorite city to wake <laughs> up in?
2: Um, Seattle.
1: Describe yourself in three words.
2: Gosh. Um, a pale, Canadian, happy?
1: That
2: was a really weird order, but it's okay.
1: Last song you listened to?
2: Um, I uh, I've got. Do you hear what I hear by Anne Marie? Yes, it was Christmas. I'll just stick with Christmas.
1: Well, you lose. I don't know. Why did I lose? I don't know because I said I have a say in the matter. I mean, it's my show.
2: I wish that I had like a better song that I last listened to, but it's been all like Christmas playlists. So it's time to move on in 2020. You know,
1: Christmas playlists, knitting cookbooks. Congratulations on your 75th (laughs) birthday, Renee.
2: (laughs) Like, What are people doing with their time that's more exciting than that? I I mean, what do you do?
1: I don't have free time. I don't know. I literally don't have time to do anything. I'm just lost in the WWE. I fight with people on the internet.
2: That's what you do. See, and that's why you're angsty. And I just described myself in three words. One of them was happy. So suck it. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I'm going to send you a knitting kit or like a crochet kit or something. I got I to gotta turn you around a little bit. You, you lost your way.
1: Oh, I've been lost for many, many moons. You know this all too well. I was thinking yeah, I to did. myself and having a conversation the other day that of all the things I miss about having Renee Young around all the time, it's the crew and the rides between Raws and Smackdowns.
2: Me too. I know. Isn't like I, It's really sad to think that that's just like now just a period of our lives that no longer exists. Like It's kind of sad, isn't it?
1: It's it's really a bummer, and it it kind of would get you through the long days and get you through the long drives. Yeah. I mean, it just it, the crew ordinarily was yourself, myself, Vic Joseph, sometimes Tom Phillips, Percy Watson, uh, and Mike Mansuri, our producer, and some laughs were had.
2: Oh my god, it was the best! And like just belting out songs in the back of a car, uh, making it to towns, stopping at weird gas stations,
1: peeing behind dumpsters. <laughs>
2: A lot of debauchery happened during those trips, but I know I miss those. And that's sort of the weird thing of like for me being away from everyone so much is I'm like, oh wait, all my friends are gone. It's kind of sad. Now I just knit.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, it seems like a logical alternative.
2: <laughs> I, I had to go one way or the other. I couldn't like replace you guys, so I just uh, you, you pivoted had to very very hard. <laughs> start something new.
1: All right, Renee, where uh, can everybody find FS1 and uh, your...
2: Let me take over. Let me take this over. Listen, here's where you can get it. You can catch my show called WWE Backstage, uh, hosted by me, Renee Young, alongside my co-host, Booker T. That's available on FS1 Tuesday nights at 11 p.m. Eastern Time. Ding, 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 ding.
1: That's why they pay you the big bucks.
2: Damn right. (laughs) <laughs> um, I also would like the people to know While I do have your ears here How much Corey Graves hates fart sounds
1: That is accurate That is You
2: hate it, you have no tolerance for it at all
1: Zero tolerance whatsoever It grosses me have out Have you
2: farted in front of Carmella? I have not Oh my god, dude
1: Listen, Get I mean over it. Why? I, I'm not a fan of it It grosses me out I, I, There's other rooms available You can go to the bathroom You could take care of your business You can go, I mean <laughs> Yeah, I, I just I just don't like it. I mean, I'm not going to say it's know. never going to happen because, you know, life happens. But if I'm aware that it's going to go down, leave the room.
2: <laughs> well, my husband did not uh, heed that advice ever. So I guess good for you guys.
1: <laughs> I guess. What's, what's the best quality you have as a boyfriend? Well, I don't fart in front of her. <laughs>
2: I don't know. Sometimes you just gotta like drop that wall and, uh, and have somebody accept all of the bad things about you as well. I
1: have got enough bad things about myself that she has proudly accepted. I think I'm just uh, gonna, yeah. you know, I'll cut my, pick and choose my battles <laughs> on this one.
2: Fair enough. I respect it. What's I your want people to know that.
1: Well, good. I'm thank you. Me. I'm thankful that you reminded them, as I yes. will surely now be inundated with fart sound tweets.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: What's your New Year's resolution?
2: Oh, my New Year's resolution I think is probably to um to just get back on track with um making some career moves. It's like like I was saying before, it's like stepping away from SmackDown and Raw a little bit and doing just backstage. It's been nice to catch my breath and sort of recalibrate a little bit. But I think it'll be nice to kind of hit the pavement again and um yeah, start coming up with some new show ideas and stuff and see what I can get going. I know it's sort of like lame, but I feel like I've been working, working, working for so long that I'm sort of getting re-energized to get back into doing that. I don't know what it's going to be yet, but, um, yeah, I, I, I want to get some more shows happening.
1: Well, I mean, we've got that photo from the movie shoot that we did where we were very clearly meant and destined to be a morning talk show duo.
2: Why doesn't that exist? Like, I don't understand why that doesn't exist and why you and I aren't already doing that. Cause didn't we try to pitch that a million times of like, Hey, Can we just have like a studio, which I guess is kind of the bump now, right? I mean, they gave them that, you know, the bump show on uh, the network. So maybe, maybe they took our thunder a little bit. Not that it's, well, I guess it is a morning show, actually. It is in the morning, right?
1: Uh, Yeah. Breaking news. Renee Young has heat with the bump.
2: i got big time heat with the bump. You hear that, Caleb Braxton? I want that morning show slot. But actually, you know what? I do have a good evening slot, which when I first started being a TV host, I always wanted to work in late night. So I guess it's like I kind of do, right? 11 p.m. talking about wrestling. Look out, Johnny Carson. Here I come.
1: You know, I think that's why we're friends, because when I started in the television industry, I wanted to be in Cinemax after dark.
2: (laughs) That's still a solid backup plan. That is a good backup plan. I think you can make a pretty penny. Old, uh, uh, what, was, what was your name? Oh my God, what is it? Jungle <laughs> Jim!
1: <laughs> and that is where I draw the line on my own podcast because that story is far from appropriate for anyone's ears.
2: Just remember, I know all of your darkest secrets, bitch. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's why I got to keep you on my good side.
2: (laughs) Exactly.
1: All right. Well, uh, go enjoy the rest of your New Year's Day. Happy New Year. And uh, maybe if you ever decide to come to work, I will see you down the road soon. Happy New Year. Uh, I love you. I mean it. Bye.
2: Love you. Bye.
1: My guest is the voice of WWE, despite what I might say about myself. He's also undefeated at WrestleMania, my partner from SmackDown on Fox, Michael Cole. Mr. Cole, how are you, sir? Hey, Corey. How are you doing, bud? I am tremendous. Happy New Year.
0: Well, yeah, Happy New Year. Um, I want to let people know that we jumped through hoops to get this uh, interview done between uh, airline delays and uh, weather and everything else, but welcome to our world, right?
1: Exactly. There's no such thing (laughs) as an easy day.
0: (laughs) Not at all. (laughs) Hey, by the way, congratulations on your uh, on your podcast. I mean, it's been uh, it's been phenomenal. I listen every week. It gives me a lot of great material for uh, for SmackDown every week. And uh, congratulations on really uh, kicking off the WWE podcast network in a great way.
1: Well, thank you very very much. I appreciate that. Uh, I was doing my research, and by research, I mean sitting at the commentary desk during a commercial break with you recently, and it was brought to my attention that you have now called WWE action in parts of four decades.
0: Yep, you're exactly right. And the only reason that dawned on me was when we were calling the TLC uh, pay-per-view event. Uh, I realized that it was the last pay-per-view of the decade. And I'm assuming, um, unless I get hit by a bus, hopefully that doesn't happen in the next couple of weeks, that I'll be involved in the Royal Rumble broadcast, which means... I will have called pay-per-view events in the 90s, uh, the early part of the 2000s, 2010 to 2020, and then 2020 on. So God knows how much longer I'm going to do this, but I think that's a pretty cool deal Four different decades. I'm not sure how many people um, out there have actually done that. Um, So I think it's a pretty cool deal.
1: That's pretty wild when you think about it. And As transient as this business is and as many times as we, you see new faces and people come and people go, you, you've been a constant here for this long. I actually want to jump back to the very beginning. Now, this is a conversation you and I have had a few times in, in different uh, scenarios, usually sitting at a bar sipping Jack Daniels. <laughs> right. But as, as much as I uh, joke about being a broadcast journalist, before you came to WWE, you actually were a journalist.
0: Indeed, I was. Uh, I worked at, uh, when I when I got out of college, uh, I went to Syracuse University. I had uh, hoped to be a sportscaster initially because I had called all the basketball and football games at Syracuse in the mid-80s, um, and that's really where I thought I was going to go. I just ended up in news somehow. Um, my first job out of college, I worked with a former WWE uh, commentator, Todd Pettengill, and uh, Todd uh, hired me on to do news as part of his morning show in Albany, and that just uh, turned into a news career. I ended up moving to Houston, Texas. I became uh, one of the youngest radio network news reporters in history um, and uh, ended up going from there to CBS News, and then the rest was history. So, yeah, I started out doing radio news, which is pretty cool.
1: Yeah, but you did some some pretty wild stuff beyond radio news as far as what you covered. I mean, Oh, you spent- yeah, well—
0: when, when i say radio news corey what i what i mean and i i guess i should clarify that a little bit you know most people radio news in this day and age you know 2020 uh, is nowhere near uh what it used to be 30 years ago um, back in the uh, the heyday of the uh, late 80s and early 90s and i got into radio news at a pretty cool time talk radio uh, especially on the am dial Uh, was uh, pretty huge, especially news stations. The station I worked at out of Houston, KTRH 740 AM, was a massive powerhouse in the Southwest. Um, And this was the day and age before satellite radio, before internet. So most people, locally and nationally, if they couldn't turn on the TV set at 6 o'clock at night to watch the world news, uh, they would get their updates throughout the day at the top of the hour on their local radio stations. And You know, in in that time, you had two different types of uh, radio people. You had your anchors who basically read the news uh, off a piece of paper at the top of every hour, the scripts that they wrote. And then you had your reporters. And I was pretty much a a reporter. And I became, uh, for CBS, uh, what they used to call a fireman, which is when there was a a disaster or a uh, a terrible scene somewhere around the world, uh, they would send me there. So um, throughout the late 80s, in the uh, early to mid 90s, before I started with WWE, I covered a, a, a ton of these uh, these massive stories uh, that really have become ingrained in history. You know, I covered three presidential campaigns. I covered the uh, Branch Davidian standoff with David Koresh and Waco all 51 days. I spent uh, three tours uh, in Bosnia co- uh, covering the Bosnian Bosnia Civil War. Um, I covered the Oklahoma city bombing. Um, you know, anything that happened from a news standpoint in the late eighties through the mid nineties, uh, I pretty much was at the forefront of it for either ABC who I initially worked with and then, uh, CBS. So I had a, you know, pretty awesome seat to history for the, for the early part of my career.
1: Do any of those in particular stand out? Do you have any moments that you still think about that are kind of like, wow, I, I did that.
0: You know, I miss news. I did three tours in Bosnia during the Civil War in the early to mid-1990s. Um, my final tour there, I ended up spending about eight to nine months um, because when we went in on what was supposed to be a six-week tour, the uh, Serbian uh, rebels had shut the airport down and nobody was allowed in and out of Sarajevo, which is where we were based. So we pretty much lived there as, as hostages. And pretty much I lived um, as the people in Sarajevo lived, under siege, uh, in apartments, uh, no heat, um, no water. You'd have to take your uh, your gallon jugs down to the middle of the city square each day, and they would turn on the water for about an hour, and you would have to you know wait in line and try to get as much water as you could. Um, there was no heat, so people were uh, you know were uh, burning furniture uh, and garbage just to stay warm. Um, it's a pretty nasty scene, but I was had the ability and the opportunity to report from there. And I put together a ten-part series called Voices of Bosnia that won a number of uh, uh, international awards uh, from a radio standpoint. So that was probably the proudest stuff that I'd have that I'd ever done in my career. Um, and I got the opportunity to spend some time with some pretty cool people. I spent a lot of time on the uh, campaign trail in 1992 with a, a young upstart politician named Bill Clinton, and got to know him and his team uh, very well. And uh, so you know those were probably some of the highlights of what I was involved in early on before I came to uh, WWE
1: presidential campaigns, war zones. It seems like the natural transition is to come to WWE.
0: (laughs) Well, one of the funny things is when I started, Corey, one of the campaigns that uh, some of the guys at the TV studio, Chris Chambers and a couple of the other guys were uh, interested in doing was they wanted to sort of make a big deal about, hey, we have this war correspondent come to work for us in WWE. And um, they wanted to play off the whole Raw is War um, thing. But you know, how things operate around here. Sometimes uh, when you enter the sports entertainment world, what you've done in your past really doesn't matter. Um, and you have to start from the ground up, which is what I did. And, uh, here I am today.
1: <laughs> well, from the ground up is, is one way to put it. you, uh, had some very interesting riding partners that showed you the ropes.
0: <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, when I first started in, in this company, uh, our executive producer, Kevin Dunn, told me, listen, you know nothing about the wrestling business, and I didn't. I was completely green. The only thing I knew about wrestling or sports entertainment is what I used to watch on television growing up, and um, that was it. I was a fan, and when I started here, uh, people within the company would say, you have to learn the business, and the only way you're going to learn the business is in a car, in a bar, or you know, going to live events. So my first year here, I went to every live event the company did. I was involved in helping to promote live events through what we used to call Slam Jams, uh, which was where we would uh, interview uh, some of our superstars. And those interviews would be played around the country. This is back in the day where our television programs were syndicated. So every market had their own localization of the WWE product. So if we were coming to Cleveland, Ohio, we would put Bret Hart in a room and have him cut a interview about his big match coming up Saturday night in Cleveland, Ohio. And it would play on the local station in Cleveland. So I was heavily involved in that. Michael Hayes, uh, Michael P.S. Hayes of the Freebirds, uh, was the first person that I worked with in this company. Michael did my audition. I worked with Michael in the live event Slam Jams department at the time. He was known as Doc Hendricks uh, for uh, all of you, um, uh, you know, old timers out there. And I learned the business from Michael. And then they stuck me in a car with uh, JBL, uh, John Bradshaw Layfield, uh, and many of his riding buddies, including Ron Simmons and Teddy Long, and the godfather so i was brought up in the business uh driving a car for these guys around the country and um making sure that uh they were taken care of in uh, many ways when they got to their hotels (laughs) 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 and i will leave it at that
1: (laughs) Uh, so how long did it how long did it take you in the in the world of wwe before you uh really kind of felt like you found your footing
0: Hey, listen, I uh, when I started, Kevin Dunn told me it's going to take you 10 years to get comfortable with this product. It took me 10 years to become comfortable with the product. It was right around the 10 or 11 year mark where I moved from Smackdown over to Monday Night Raw. And that is when I finally thought, hey, listen, you know, I sort of have a grasp on what I'm doing here. Um, So it took me it took me about 10 years. It is not an easy process, especially for someone, you know, to come from the outside world into this and try to do it the way that we do things. You know, I, I have never been co- completely accepted by a lot of the uh, the sports entertainment fans. I expect that, but you know it's difficult for guys like me, Corey, compared to a guy like yourself who was trained to be a wrestler. This is something that you wanted to do your entire life and your entire career, and you understand the psychology of what goes on in the ring. You understand what's happening in the ring. I had to learn that. I had to teach myself that, and it was a real difficult thing to do because at the time it was just Jim Ross and myself. We were the only announcers from a play by play standpoint in WWE and Jim of course was a legend and here I am this guy who started in the company trying to just find out what the hell I'm doing um so it was it was really intimidating but you know the boss is stuck with me and I'm still here today
1: so you mentioned not being accepted right out of the gate and obviously you're you're kind of uh standing in the shadow of like you said a legend like JR what was it like to finally be able to embrace the disdain of the WWE universe for for your run, where you required the coal mine. <laughs>
0: so, listen. I want to. So back to when I started. I, um, you know, Jr. got sick in I believe it was 1998, and I had only been here about a year. And Jr. had a, a one of his bouts with Bell's palsy, and you know, the creative minds at work at the time decided that while Jr. was out, they would put me in his spot, which. I was completely green. I was in way over my head. But they decided that somehow I would be a babyface, and when JR returned, they would try to make him a heel. It was probably the worst cast decision uh, in the history of WWE. It was terrible. Um, JR was never going to be a heel. It did not matter. Um, And I think that point in time was really – when I was not accepted early on by a lot of the WWE fans because they looked at me as trying to replace this legend. Um, I was cast as this young babyface, and they didn't want that. And um, that sort of put me, you know, behind the eight ball. And over the years, um, as I was doing SmackDown and then I would move into Raw where I did take JR's job on the flagship show, of WWE, I really became a major heel. Vince McMahon decided, you know, well, listen, Michael Cole in real life is a sarcastic prick anyway. So <laughs> why not why not capitalize on this? Why not capitalize on his backlash from the WWE universe and make him a bad guy? And that's what They did. They used to do a thing, um, and they sort of have updated it a little bit on our backstage show on FS1. But Vince McMahon used to hold a class at TV about 10 years ago, which was called promo class. And basically, he would have all the, the superstars come into a room on a TV day, and he would conduct a class on how to cut a promo. And then he would have people go up to the front of the class, and they would basically have to cut a promo. Well, one day, he threw me up there with our truth and truth and I stole the show. And at that point in time, Vince is like, Oh my God, this guy is a prick. He's a heel. I'm going to do something with this. And it started out slowly, gradually turning me into this, this, this heel. And, um, you know, it led to about a two year run that, uh, there was really no in between Corey. And and I know you watched at the time, um, there was no in between. People either really loved the character and loved what I was doing, or people thought it was this travesty against everything that was ever done. It was terrible. A play-by-play guy cannot be a bad guy. A play-by-play guy has to be the voice of reason. It's the worst decision the WWE's ever made, and then it led to what I believe, still to this day, has been voted the worst match in WrestleMania history. And that was my match with Jerry the King Lawler. And by the way, here is a pretty cool a pretty cool fact. So, when, when we decided that we were going to do the angle with King, one of the reasons that they did turn me major heel is because Jerry Lawler, in his entire career in WWE, which has been a Hall of Fame career, he's one of the greatest uh, wrestlers in the history of the business. Jerry had never had a match at WrestleMania. And Jerry was, of course, getting older. They didn't know how they were going to put Jerry in that spotlight. So they came up with this idea of having Jerry versus me at WrestleMania. And it would lead off by me being a big fan of Miz, which built for six or seven months, me costing Jerry Lawler the WWE Championship. And then Jerry and I getting involved in this big, massive rivalry that began days after his mother died in real life. And they turned it into a storyline as part of this program, which developed and generated even more heat. So as part of my buildup to WrestleMania, Jack Swagger would be my guy who would train me to head into WrestleMania to try to knock off the king. Well, in order to learn Swagger's ankle lock, which I renamed the ankle lock, I needed a someone, a sparring partner, someone to practice this on. And who would that someone be? A that very be- young Matt Polinsky.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Yours truly, wet behind the ears, independent kid just getting bookings as a uh, an extra on TV days. And they said, hey, we need a body in there. Next thing I know, Michael Cole's trying to break my ankle in a submission in front of, in front of all these guys I look up to. And I'm going, oh, my God, hopefully this helps me get a job. <laughs>
0: Here's me in this suit and tie outside the ring on the floor in front of the announce table, awkwardly trying to put this ankle lock on a kid who actually knows how to wrestle. I could only imagine how embarrassing that was for you. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: it, it takes a lot to embarrass me these days. It, it's such as life. You, you learn to get pretty thick skin around here. But hey,
0: have you talked at all on your podcast about your Bollywood career as an actor?
1: I have not. I have not, because it's so extensive. I feel as though I might need to devote an entire episode to my career as a Bollywood well, film star.
0: I do want to just whet the appetite of the <laughs> listeners. Right. And when we do have this moment, I would love to come back on the show when we have more time to actually talk about that. Because they may not know that you were in this movie called Kingdom of Gladiators.
1: Kingdom of right? Gladiators.
0: Kingdom of Gladiators, that you can look up right now. On YouTube, it has over 5 million views in Hindi. Corey is a Bollywood star, and he used all of Roman Reigns' in-ring moves in this movie before Roman Reigns was even in existence.
1: That is factually accurate. That
0: is. <laughs> so if you want to see Corey Graves in a pair of $5 Walmart gray sweatpants <laughs> delivering a spear, get Kingdom of Gladiators.
1: That that was a much better plug for that movie than anything I could have ever done. Uh, I want to, I want to go back to your WrestleMania match real quick though for a second, because you have a pretty interesting story about during the match, you're you're out there in front of thousands so, and thousands let, of people with a very special guest referee.
0: So let me tell you about, so I never watched this match until just a couple of years ago, but let me tell you how this whole day, how this whole day works out. So um, I'm in the ring before the match, uh, during the day, and Jerry and I are going over the match a little bit. And um, CM Punk also had a match at that WrestleMania. And, and, and Phil and I had known each other for years, We're good friends. And he comes, for some reason, and to this day, we don't know why, he comes running across the ring and he delivers a knee lift that knocks my front tooth out. <laughs> now, this is like four hours before my WrestleMania match. I, 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 my tooth goes flying. There's blood everywhere. Punk's telling me, oh my God, I'll pay for the dental work. I'm so sorry. I don't know what got into me. I was just out here goofing around, yada, yada, yada. I said, I ain't worried about my dental work. I'm about to lose the biggest payday of my career because you (laughs) knocked my tooth out. So that's how my day started. So then what happens is, is I still have to do commentary, Jerry and I, for the first half of that WrestleMania. So I had my coal mine out there, which was the plastic case that protected me from Jerry I'd never Jerry had never laid his hands on me at all during the program I'm in a tuxedo and underneath my tuxedo is my orange singlet and we did the first half of the show had to run to the back had to rip off our tuxedos put on our the rest, wrestling gear the stupid uh ear muffs that I had and the the singlet and the boots and the whole nine yards so one of the things that I could do well I couldn't wrestle obviously as anybody has seen that match knows but I could cut a promo because I've been trained to talk. So I cut a promo down on the way to the ring, and I get into the ring, and I'm like, ah, I don't know what the big deal is about WrestleMania. Okay, there's 70,000 people out there, whatever. I just cut this great promo on the heel. People are booing me. This is the greatest thing ever. Swagger comes down. He's my guy. Yeah, this is great. I don't know what everybody gets all worked up about for WrestleMania. All of a sudden, the glass breaks. And here comes Stone Cold Steve Austin, the special guest referee, and he's on his – uh his four-wheeler, zooming down to the ring. And at that point in time, I look at the referee, I look at the swagger, and the first thing I said is, oh, <laughs> this is real. <laughs> I said, I am in a ring with Stone Cold Steve Austin and Hall of Famer Jerry the King Lawler in a match at WrestleMania. So the match gets ready to get started. I jump in the coal mine, I hide from Jerry. Jerry climbs over the top, he finally gets to me. What happens is, is he... At the time, if you recall, I was the uh, I was the spokesman for the anonymous general manager. We had that stupid steel podium that I would go up and say, can I have your attention, please? Jerry drags me out of the coal mine and he throws me head first into the front of this steel podium. And I go head first on it. The next thing I know, I'm somebody's throwing me in the ring. I think I was knocked out for however long it was. So I get thrown into the ring now. The cameras are all on Jerry and Swagger because they're doing something outside the ring. Austin's inside as the referee. And now I'm on my rear end and I'm backing up toward the ropes. And I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I am like, I feel like I'm going to throw up in the center of the ring. I look at Steve. Steve's laughing his ass off. And I look at him. And I said, how much longer? How much longer? And he goes, 35 minutes, son. I said, 35 minutes? I can't even breathe. So he hands me a piece of gum. He goes, take this. He said, what the hell am I supposed to do with a piece of gum? <laughs> he said, chew it. It'll help you feel better. Oh, my God. So now we're doing the thing. Whatever happens, happens. I can't remember. So Jerry starts his comeback. And Jerry comes off the uh, comes off the rope with a missile drop kick. And he kicks me right in the mouth. And what happens? My other tooth next to the one punt knocked out, goes flying across the ring. So now I've lost two teeth in the same day. There's blood everywhere. Uh, Jerry looks at me, and he throws a right hand, and I don't even sell. I don't even know where I'm at. I'm still on my feet. And he goes, Michael, you've got to go down when I throw a punch. So the next (laughs) punch he throws with his index knuckle out, and he catches me under the eye. I drop like a brick. Then as I get up again, Jerry goes, I'm going to deliver the stunner. I said, the stunner? how do I do a stutter? He goes, just sit there. He jammed my, his shoulder into my, uh, into my chin so bad. I'm just laying there and they count the one, two, three, and then it was overturned or I tapped out whatever happened. And I get carried out of there, a bloody mess. And as I go to the back, Vince, I walk in the back and I'm like, man, I thought that went pretty good. (laughs) I go to the back and I look at Vince and Vince looks at me and goes, that is the worst thing I've ever witnessed in sixty years. <laughs> so
1: that was my WrestleMania match. But the check cleared, and, so you're, st- and you're still undefeated.
0: <laughs> and I'm still undefeated.
1: <laughs> oh my god!
0: Yeah one of one of my great one of my great days. <laughs>
1: Well, I have I have a whole bunch of other things to get to, but I feel like we could do this all day long. I think we're just yep. going to have to set up another time and as to not take the rest of your uh, your day off here and to enjoy the <laughs> beginning of the new year. Um before I let you go, any New Year's resolutions?
0: Any New Year's resolutions? I have plenty that I could have you do. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to start that that controversy today. Uh, my New Year's resolution is just to continue to do well on SmackDown with you, Corey. I mean, this has just been a great run. I hope people keep watching. And, you know, one of the things I, I would like to say, Corey, is I love this the SmackDown dichotomy of working in a two-man booth. I mean, it is awesome. And, you know, we know each other so well. And I just hope that we can con- continue to do this for a number of years like Joe Buck and Troy Aitman. <laughs> that's,
1: that's another story for another day. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe next time you call back. So we'll put a bookmark in this one. Uh, we'll stop at the WrestleMania matchup, and I'm sure we'll catch up, uh, you know, as we keep moving forward and experiencing this insane world from ringside.
0: Thanks, Corey. I appreciate it, man. All right, Good luck Thanks, to Cole. Get.
1: Yes, sir. Hey, this mailbag thing's kind of fun, sort of. It's new. I'm still figuring it out. But uh, let's keep practicing, shall we? Back to the mailbag. At Mary Mandad. I hope I said that right. M-E-R-R-Y-M-A-N-D-A-D. Mary Mandad, 1985, asked, If I could get cleared for one match, who would I want my opponent to be? This one's impossible. Um, There are so many guys that I've been in the ring with years back that would love to do it again. So many people that have come through the system and NXT and they're on WWE now that... I have never stepped in the ring with him and love to. Off the top of my head, I would have to say Shinsuke Nakamura or Daniel Bryan. Don't hold me to that because I'm sure my, idea, my answer will change 10 minutes from now, but that's what I'm thinking at the moment. At hashtag trashcat asked, if you could form your own or be part of any stable, which one would it be and who would be in it? This is another one that is impossible. It's like asking me what my favorite song is. Uh, it depends on the day. It depends on who I'm watching at the time. So I'll answer the first part of it, or the second part, I should say. If I could be part of any stable, which one would it be? I don't know that I would have survived being a horseman, but I would have loved to be in an Evolution. I loved everything about that faction, which was kind of a more modern-day horseman. Uh, I think any other answer is sort of unacceptable, except maybe the NWO or DX. or. But I'm going to stick with Evolution. At... I don't know how to say this I'm going to spell it M-U-I-Z-K-H-J-A I I hope I did not offend you By not being able to pronounce your name Or whatever that Amalgamation of letters is What is my favorite thing to do outside of WWE? Well I don't know Because I don't really do anything outside of WWE I'm kind of a workaholic Uh, If I had to pick anything I would say baseball I'm a massive, massive baseball fan Um more than just about anything. I'm one of the only people alive that I know that can sit and watch a full nine-inning baseball game between two teams that I don't even care about. I love baseball. Uh, sorry if it wasn't that exciting. And and Jack Daniels. Jack Daniels is always fun outside of work. At Chase Maxi says, any two superstars from any era, what is your all-time dream match? Oh, again, these questions are so, so impossible to answer accurately. Uh, so, just going with my gut and what's on my mind at this moment. Macho Man Randy Savage versus Randy Orton. I think that would be an unbelievable match. Uh, unfortunately, we will never get to witness as such, but that's the fun part of dream matches. They're not necessarily always supposed to come to fruition. And finally, at Justin 316 says, Hey, Graves. Are we friends? No. No, Justin, I'm sorry, but we're not friends. We could be someday, but I don't know you. So no. It's a new year, but I cannot leave you without a little zen for your dome pieces. Bill Vaughn says an optimist stays up until midnight to see a new year in. A pessimist? stays up to make sure the old year leaves felt apropos. I sure as hell know which one I am. There's some Zen for you. I'm full of it. Thanks once again to Michael Cole. I can't wait to delve into the rest of that conversation in the future. And of course, my dearest friend, Renee young Catch her on WWE backstage. Make sure you follow at after the bell on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Use the hashtag after the bell. If you're on Android, follow ATB on Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, Google Podcasts, or your podcast app of choice so that you never miss an episode. You want to be enlightened, don't you? Subscribe to ATB and give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Help spread the word, the gospel according to Graves. Follow me at WWE Graves on Twitter, on Instagram, and I will be back next week once again like clockwork with more wisdom more vitriol and more wwe after the bell this has been an
2: original wwe podcast